Hi, I'm Aaron Douglas. You most likely know me from Battlestar Galactica, where I played Chief Tyrrell. And I've been on a bunch of other things. I was Turtle in the Flash and Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. I was Gordon Rimmer. That's a, that's a fan favorite. Jordy Chin from Ubisoft's Watch Dogs. Watch for more of that. And now I'm writing comic books for Aftershock Comics. And you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that also probably should have done this earlier. I'm your host Craig and I'm here to lead a discussion about Marvel's sort of return to the big screen after a two-year break. It is of course Black Widow. Joining me in this discussion, she has inhaled the red gas and can now think for herself again. It's Laura, hi. Hello. It was the only intro I could think of that seemed relevant and timely. It's funny, I like it. Not that I'm implying that you never think for yourself, but I'm implying that you don't think for yourself. But it's true. I am a slave to capitalism. Slave to Marvel movies, I guess. Oh, that too. But willingly so. Is it slavery if you're willing? Oh, that's a complicated question, mate. That's another podcast. That's another podcast. Yeah, I'm not at liberty to comment on that. I don't know enough about <laughs> that. You don't want me to go into that. So I won't. <laughs> Unless listeners do, in which case I will. But until then, we're here to talk about Black Widow. So let's just get started with... Spoiler-free thoughts. So in case someone wants to listen to the first 10 minutes of the podcast and not have the film spoiled for them before they go and see the film and listen to the rest of the podcast, why don't you tell the listeners what you thought of the film without spoilers? Oh God, how do you do a summary of a Marvel film without spoilers? I liked it. I thought it was a good development on a known character while introducing like new elements that are going to crop up later in the MCU. And... Yeah. What more can you say without putting ideas into someone's head if they've not seen it yet? I don't know if the audience exists that listen to the first 10 minutes of the podcast before watching a film. I really hope not. But if you're out there, reevaluate your life choices. If you're out there, we've got you covered. That's what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Try and cater to all comers. Mm. Yeah, I actually liked it a lot. And I've seen it now twice. And obviously in the second viewing with the view of taking notes for a podcast, it was a bit more... Oh, maybe this is a bit iffy or maybe this could have been done differently mm. or maybe this isn't as good as I thought it was the first time but that's what happens I watch these things then I pick them apart and then I get to the end of a podcast and I think did I like that because it seems like I didn't <laughs> what is an original thought anymore <laughs> that's why we summarize at the end to remind ourselves that we may or may not have liked it or if we've talked ourselves mm. out of liking it in the meantime <laughs> but that was good I do think Marvel generally have a baseline of quality that they usually meet People's individual yeah. reactions to certain films will be different based on their own tastes. For example, Ant-Man and the Wasp, it's kind of nothing. I think everyone agrees it's kind of nothing, but at the same time, it's still a little bit watchable. My big no-no is just the Dark World, and apart from that, they will get passes. Well, I mean, that's early on, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I don't mind Dark World. I mean, I understand that it's not the best, but I prefer it to the first Thor film, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the first Thor film. That is my least favourite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Fair. No, Iron Man 3 is, and then it's Thor. 
Oh, right, yeah. Iron Man 3 is its own beast. Yeah, I mean, I'm not getting into that. I'm sure it's been covered elsewhere <laughs> by me at some point. But yeah, White Widow's good. I'm not entirely sure the film needed to exist in terms of what it was doing. I don't know that it gave us anything massively new about the character. Obviously, it's long overdue. And like I said at the beginning, it probably should have been done earlier. Mm-hmm. Just based on when it's set more than anything else as well. It's one of those, Yeah, you know, you could quite neatly watch it where it's set and it wouldn't really impact anything other than the post credit scene, which we'll talk about once we spoil things. But yeah, it was good. I don't think it was quite the bombastic return to Marvel cinema that I wanted. At the same time, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't know if this is a spoiler, but my overall summary of my reaction is just, oh, it was good, but it was a kind of like too little, too late, really. I don't know if that's a spoiler. I wouldn't say so. You haven't said why it's too little, too late, so we can get into that. Fair enough. So if you're willing, we can cross into the spoiler section. Go for it. Let's do it. Thank you for your cooperation. Okay, we're in the spoiler section. We can speak freely. We are behind the Iron Curtains, Russia. Surely that's the other way around. Russia, you can't speak freely, man. We've torn down the wall and we can now... Speak freely. Whatever it is, we can speak freely. <laughs> We've now been freed of the shackles of whatever. I don't know. I'll take it. That's We've good. been freed of something. So let's just start with the lead. Is she the lead, arguably? We'll get to that. Oh, God. <laughs> Natasha. She is the lead. She is the Black Widow. Or she is, as we now know, a Black Widow. She doesn't have mm-hmm. the right to that name, which is quite hilarious because all Drakov had to do was sue Tony Stark for appropriating the name for the Avengers. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. It's not even her logo. She stole the logo. I know. That's what happens. That's what we want to see. Avengers identity fraud or Avengers fraud trial. I don't know. I'll workshop the title. Little legal drama for, for Disney+. Plus. Yeah, just Tony Stark getting taken or his inheritors getting taken to court. So it'll be Peter Parker getting taken to court again for, oh, for stealing the Black Widow name. He's got his own shit going on i think we can leave him out of it for now yeah maybe so but anyway it picks up as i said after civil war before infinity war she's on the run she's lonely and isolated she's not got a family anymore because the avengers are fractured but turns out she has an old family anyway so that's fine who are also kind of the avengers Mm. in a way somehow Hmm. what did you think of the way natasha was handled in this film as a character in terms of where you pick her up after the civil war situation and prior to the Infinity War situation, kind of that in-between emotional space that she's in. What did you think of all that? I think it was interesting because we've only ever known her really within that support system that she had with S.H.I.E.L.D. and with the Avengers. Now she's out in the wild, we kind of get to see her as she was before she joined S.H.I.E.L.D. So as like a spy, using her contacts, getting to ground what I particularly enjoyed was getting the opportunity to see her in more domestic moments because that's not really ever something we got much of. Like most people, I always thought years ago that if Black Widow would ever get her in film, it'd be an origin story with the Red Room and everything. And I guess I still kind of wanted that. So I don't know. This kind of felt like a bit of a feather situation to sort of like rectify the fact that we still didn't know too much about her. But... For what it was, it it was an interesting time in her life. Yeah, it's almost like the Disney Plus shows in a way, as in it's giving you the time to get to know this character that yeah. is there, but doesn't necessarily have a lot of coverage because the film isn't about 
what she's going through and what she has to deal with on an individual basis because it's about there's a city flying and we need to save people. Yeah. <laughs> or the Avengers are having a bit of a tiff and need to fight each other or whatever the plot of the film that she's in is about. You get smatterings of here's her skill set, here's how she thinks, here's her core relationships, things like that. But the films aren't about her. No. In the way that they should be, or maybe not in the way that they should be. She's a mainstay, but it's one of those mainstays where, oh no, it turns out I don't know an awful lot about her. And I thought the same as you before I saw the film for a while, that I would have maybe preferred an origin story where she works for the Red Room or whoever, and she's out there causing trouble and Hawkeye is chasing her. And he's essentially the villain, where she's the villain, but she's the focus, so... He's her villain for that film. But then I was thinking, nah, that's just going to be like Solo, where everything interesting that we've ever heard about happens in the same week. Because mm. that's all it would have been. It would have been, here's how she meets Hawkeye. Here's how they fight. Here's how they team up. Instead of it being protracted over a period of months, like you would imagine it would be, it would probably be over just a couple of days. What an eventful couple of days. It shaped her whole yeah. life after this point. So I was kind of glad not Maybe. to get that, because we don't need that, really. Because we already know enough about her history to fill in those gaps so maybe it is better to tell a story about her past is catching up with her and she needs to resolve that the red room stuff might have been better to see because we got a smattering of that in age of ultron but not very much no those were barely glimpses really yeah but yeah i think it's an interesting debate i think they could have done a little bit more even with flashbacks in this one but it all felt like the exposition was being forcefully slotted in a lot of the time, like when she was talking about her mission with Hawkeye in Budapest and kept bringing up, oh yeah, we hid here for like three days, whatever. I guess that's just the MCU winking at its fan base being like, yeah, now you know what happened. (laughs) Haha, stop bothering us. Yeah, what happened here? They fought for a bit and then they hid in a crawlway for a bit and played Knots and Crosses. That was all they did. So you don't want to see that film. You don't want to see people play Knots and Crosses for two hours. <laughs> no, perhaps not. It'd be quite an experimental type Marvel situation where it's just yeah. two people hiding out, chatting and playing Knots and Crosses. It costs 200 million to make somehow. We don't know how. Yep. <laughs> There's like an action sequence yep, that starts yep. it off and then they just hide for the next hour and a half until they <laughs> feel it's safe to leave. And then they leave. And then Nick Fury turns up at the end and gives her her shield contract or whatever. That sounds good to me. <laughs> I'd watch it. Yeah. Sounds quite relaxing for once. Yeah, something to watch once, I suppose, as an experiment. <laughs> but it's never going to be that. Of course, it's never going to be that. No. Some of the bits kind of annoyed me. I think there's things in the pre-Disney era of Marvel films where they're a bit braver in the sense of, for example, Natasha has a dark past. She's killed a lot of people. She's been around. Mm-hmm. She's had to do some pretty nasty stuff over the years. And I feel like now we're in the post Disney era there's a bit of a we need to clean this up and point out that she's not responsible for the thing that she thinks she's responsible for so the particularly killing a little girl which is really dark Mm. turns out she didn't so she can clear that off her conscience yeah I don't know how I feel about that because I always thought one of the really interesting things about her was how checkered her past is and how she's actively trying to be better and by removing the source of that trauma and making it sort of like a red herring it's almost a little bit disappointing because it takes away a lot of the depth of her character study, I think. Yeah. And I think there's a belief that if a character has that kind of darkness in their past, that they're irredeemable. But I don't believe that's true. I think that she's very redeemable. And I think that the fact that she wanted out and there's the coercion side of it as well that was motivating that to some degree. So mm-hmm. it was a very redeemable thing. Plus, you have to think about the dozens of other people she probably killed. Yeah. 
It's true. In and out of the red room. I mean, how many people did she off for shield? Probably a lot. Probably a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot, a lot. Yeah. But it's fine because they're the good guys. So it doesn't count. Yeah, except they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. I suppose anytime Nick Fury told her to kill someone, it was a good thing. Anytime she got told by someone else, it wasn't such a good thing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. But as soon as they showed us the daughter thing, and then it went on a while and Taskmaster hadn't been revealed yet, and I was like, that's going to be the daughter, isn't it? It was well blatant. Sorry. If anyone didn't see that coming, I do question if you were paying attention. (laughs) And it's an unnecessary reveal as well, because they don't really do much with it. There's the whole freezer and then, can't remember her name. Dreykov's daughter, I can't remember her name. She escapes and Oh my God, runs off. stop. No, I actually can't remember. That's how little it matters yeah. though, isn't it? The fact you can't remember her actual name. I guess the point was that she gets to redeem herself. But I always think that her working with the Avengers and her finding a family with the Avengers was her redeeming herself this whole time. So it just feels a little bit redundant. Yeah. And it would have been more interesting had, I'm just going to call her Taskmaster because I can't remember the actual name, had mm. Taskmaster not forgiven her or found some other way to resent her. I'm not under control anymore, yeah. but I still hate you. And I'm going to track you down and kill you at some point. Well, maybe not <laughs> because things happen. Oops. Yeah. So I'm going to track down people you care about and kill them instead because I know all their fighting moves. Yeah, it was all a bit simple, wasn't it? Yeah. It was all a bit too clean. Yeah. I guess you can't leave too many threads undone because our main character's dead, but still it felt a little bit too tidy. Yeah, but she still has a bit of a legacy. I mean, Yelena's technically her legacy. That resentment could pass on to her, even though Yelena had nothing to do with it. But it still can. Resentment doesn't have to be rational, especially when she's been controlled for so long. But it was just a weird thing. I'm okay with the fact that Natasha killed people and... Mm-hmm. was pretty merciless about it back in the day as well. I'm okay with that. Yeah. We accept it from Bucky, so why not her? Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess with Bucky, it's that same thing where it's said that he's in no control whatsoever, so it's almost like responsibilities passed off of him. Yeah. And it's more about his guilt than it is about atonement. Yeah. But he still but remembers anyway, it all yeah. at the same time. He does. So there's redemption to be had there because even though he was an unwilling participant, he still remembers it just as she does. Certainly the blowing up the building that the daughter was in was very much when she was trying to break free of that control thing and she was doing a horrible thing to try and off the person responsible. Again, I'd have been okay with that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just really grim of me. But it feels like Disney won't ever cross that line with their characters that they want to be heroes yeah no you're right i suppose tony stark was one way to look at it his past as an arms manufacturer and his role in that but that's about as close as you get to proper dark bad past yeah in which the hero is actually held accountable for his actions yeah and again that's largely covered in the pre-disney era of the mcu Arguably, Age of Ultron's a lot about that. Yeah, although I do remember the line in Age of Ultron where he talks about Claw, and he says, there are conferences, you meet people, I didn't sell them anything. <laughs> you totally did. <laughs> you definitely right. did. <laughs> Maybe you didn't sell them anything, but someone in your company did. <laughs> I... Someone used your signature and that happened. So yeah, let's not keep your hands clean there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Loki, for example, we're expected to believe his redemption. How many people has he killed? He led an invasion and he was in control of his actions at that point. 
Yeah, I feel like they kind of sidestep a lot of responsibility with Loki too by making him a variant and erasing the last few films. Even his redemption across the films, though, is what I mean. Yeah, fair enough. But Natasha's story here is a bit of unfinished business. Turns out the guy that she thought she killed wasn't dead because she didn't bother to check, which seems a bit careless. And very unlike her. It's the sci-fi fantasy rule, isn't it? Unless you see a body or a severed head, they're not dead. And even if you do, they might still be alive. Yeah, probably not in this case, because it's that side of the MCU where resurrection and stuff isn't necessarily a thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, she should have checked. Definitely. Yeah, we've set a bomb. That'll do. No need to look. <laughs> but that's her mistake. It's also just very unlike her. She's always been a sort of close combat, subtle, infiltrate x kind of thing so the whole bomb situation was i think quite out of character i know clint was there as well but that's not his kind of thing either it all seemed very convenient and i guess it doesn't really matter it's just for the plot and she gets called out on it as well yelena says well you probably should have checked because he ain't dead so we have a problem yelena's whole job is calling out her ridiculous decisions and styling choices and all of that and some of it's good and some of it is just like this is black widow's movie we don't need yelena to be the main character in this well or do we because in some ways this is a trailer for her taking on the identity in a lot of ways that's what this film is it's i'm passing this torch to you here it is and that's frustrating too because natasha's legacy should be so much more than just having an interaction with a future hero who's essentially going to replace her. I think she deserved a lot more than that and her legacy is a lot bigger than that. And yet it's been almost diminished into just, here's the next Black Widow. Bye-bye. I mean, it was pretty obvious that's what this film was going to be early on. Mm. When it was, okay, we're bringing in this character. It's all about passing on the mantle. They don't directly yeah. pass it on. And the post-credit scene suggests that she has ways to go before she'll end up on quote-unquote the right side but at the same time it is very much no i can do all the same stuff you can except i still have my dodgy russian accent for another film or two yeah <laughs> yeah and for the record i did love yelena's character and i'm glad that she's gonna be having a bigger role in upcoming series slash films but i kept resenting the fact that this was meant to be a Black Widow's long-awaited movie and all too often she had to share the screen with all these other very dominant characters. Well, that's why I said it's weird that her previous family was essentially the Avengers. I mean, it's not quite, but there's two other Black Widows, a Captain America-esque type. (laughs) Yeah. And they're all sitting around the dinner table being, remember when we used to be undercover together and stuff? And... (laughs) That was actually my favourite scene. I thought it was really good. Although it's a bit strange Mm -hmm. because they haven't really seen each other since Natasha and Yelena were children. So that familiarity doesn't quite work because they were only embedded for three years. It's not really based on much. Something like that, that's what they said. Three years and they were little baby children, basically. Made such a huge impression though. Yeah, I do think there's so much suspension of belief involved in the convenient plotting because it's not about the journey, it's about the destination. There's an end goal and it's to give Black Widow the proper send-off that she didn't really get. The means by which we get there are not as important. To a degree, I think the whole point was, or at least one of the points was to give her that family dynamic or to show her that she had a family that she could fall back on and to teach her the importance of 
having other people around as well because she starts off being very lost and thinking, yeah, I'm okay. I'll be fine on my own. I don't need other people around. I'm just going to sit in the wilderness and do nothing for a bit. And then obviously that doesn't work, but she's kind of forced out of that isolation rather than making a decision to get out of it. Yeah. Because she's just going to get some gas for her generator and then gets blown up and then has to <laughs> go from there to make the plot happen. Yeah, that's another thing. Do I really buy that Natasha didn't think it was dodgy for the generator to suddenly blow out? Girl, you're a top-notch spy. You should be more paranoid. <laughs> or maybe she's just used to that, whatever his name is, not being as reliable. <laughs> Aye. He's reliable to a point, but there's things he maybe forgets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perhaps. Good job he remembered to fuel up that jet that he had at the end. Well, that we know. We don't actually see her lift off. So there could have been an awkward pause after she boards where she's like, yo, the tank's empty. No, it takes off. So it's more like it gets a couple of miles away and then oh, yeah. crash lands. Mm-hmm. Oops. But I find the family side of it interesting. Obviously, the core relationship is the Natasha-Yelena one. Again, they've not seen each other since they were children. Yelena's only really just got her own free will back. So again, there's this resentment that exists between them that really isn't there. Although there's probably history with the whole Red Room stuff that we're not seeing and don't even really hear about. Did they go on missions together yeah. or train together? Or It doesn't sound like it, does it? And yet there's a lot of history between them that it's hard to believe that it's just based on them spending three years together way back when. How old was Yelena at the end? Six years old when she was taken to the Red Room? Something like that, yeah. That's hella young. A relationship you had when you were six years old, I don't think you're necessarily all that well established by the time you're in your mid-twenties. Although when they fight, they're evenly matched, more or less. So that suggests to me that they were at the very least sparring. Maybe in the Red Room, they were knocking lumps at each other as they were being trained. Maybe. Or they just had the same training. You see the way the widows move and it's all the same styles of hand-to-hand combat. So I don't know. Guess we'll never know. No, we'll never know. They'll never have that conversation unless in her next appearance she'll be like, I grew up with Natasha in the Red Room and we did all this fighting and we worked together on several missions <laughs> where we killed a lot of people's children and actually managed to kill them that time. Talk about clunky exposition. <laughs> Could happen. It's why I'm not writing these films. <sighs> but it was a good connection yeah. and there was little details of it I liked. We mentioned the ribbing Yelena would give her about posing and things like that, which is obviously a knock at the way they would frame her in Avengers movies and so on. Yeah, and rightfully so. It's a bit ridiculous. I mean, every Avenger poses. Iron Man's landing is the superhero landing, isn't it? That's where that comes from. I suppose. I find it quite funny. I don't know if you know this, but Florence Pugh is actually the one who came up with that whole joke. Yeah, I read about that. I think it's quite cute because it's contextually such an important commentary on the MCU as a whole and the fact that it wasn't even part of the original script is quite interesting. Yeah, because it came about when they were trying to come up with a pose that was unique to her. Mm-hmm, yeah. And she was like, nah, let's not do that. And then they didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose she'll probably just start doing all the same kind of stuff. She already did the landing when she jumped out of the vent, things like that. So True, true. She'll probably come up with her own posies once she reappears in Hawkeye, I guess. That seems to be where she'll be next. Oh, for sure, yeah. When's that coming out? It's this year, maybe, or early next year. But they've not actually set an exact date, have they? No, the only exact date they've set, as of time of recording, if you're listening to this in like three years and Hawkeye's been Hmm. and gone, the only date they've set is what if, which is sometime in August, early August. August 11th. So that's the only current date set, but I think we're getting two or three more shows this year. That and Spider-Man. 
Yeah, I just mean in terms of TV shows. Oh, in terms of... T- yeah. Wait, is it three more? I thought it was just What If and maybe Hawkeye. Is there another one? Ms. Marvel. That's the other one. Oh, uh, yeah, true. They did say 2021 for that one. Whether that'll remain in the case or not, I don't know. But the plan for now, anyway. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see. They'll come out when they come out. That's my attitude. <laughs> no, I tell them when they release them. <laughs> and they will listen. I don't know. If they could do it when it's convenient for me, that'd be nice. Nah. It's always when it's inconvenient yeah, for me. For sure. So if you can find a date in the future that's inconvenient for me, that's when it will come out. Okay. Noted. That's how you predict these things. Mm-hmm. So the back and forth they had was good and drawing Natasha into the bringing down the Red Room, which she wasn't aware still existed because they can't get the Avengers involved in bringing down the Red Room because it would draw too much attention against this thing that shouldn't exist. That's another thing that seems like a massive oversight from what we know of Natasha's character and her just overall intelligence. Did you really not even bother to properly check that it had been brought down? There's a lot of very frustrating points where you're like, no, she's smarter and better at this than that. Also, the fact that she never properly tracked down her sister just seems odd. It all seems very strange. But like I said, it's convenient to the story that they wanted to tell. I suppose in terms of the Red Room thing, you could imagine that maybe when she joined S.H.I.E.L.D., she tried to find if there was any traces and then there wasn't because they do mention being affiliated with Hydra, so... You'd have to imagine it would be pretty well hidden. Plus, it's in a fortress in the sky, just like everything else is. So it's difficult to track these things down. Nick Fury would have known, though. I'm certain of that. Maybe it just suited his interest to keep it around for a bit longer. He's a dodgy sort of a person. (laughs) Nick Fury would pretend that he knew after someone told him and he didn't want them to think that he was an (sighs) idiot. He would say, no, no, I knew. I was just waiting for the right time. I knew. It's fine. I just didn't care. (laughs) They were feeding us S.H.I.E.L.D. operatives, so... It was all good. (laughs) Obedient shield operatives, it was the way to go. We wanted this thing still running. But if it's connected to Hydra, I'm willing to accept that it's hidden enough that Natasha didn't notice it existed. Fair enough. That's okay by me. But yeah, there's there's certain things like not tracking down Yelena earlier. She does say something about wanting to leave her be, but at the same time, it's letting this control persist in people that are still out there. Although I suppose you can see her selfish point of view and the way that she's thinking, I'm not being controlled anymore and that's good enough for me, as in this, just looking out for herself for a while. Maybe, or just wanting to be done with that whole past. I can understand that. Still think it's a little bit out of character, but here we go. Maybe that's also partly because we actually never really centred on her feelings and what was going through her head. So who knows, maybe she was more selfish than we realise in the later films. Yeah, you don't know what it's like when she joined S.H.I.E.L.D. and then post-Avengers, other stuff was going on, so she didn't really have the chance necessarily to track it down. If she was even trying, if she wanted to track it down, which she probably didn't. But it seems quite out there. You wouldn't miss it necessarily. Look how many operatives they had. Right. There's so many. I'm like, are you really telling me that they're bringing down governments and merging people and it's been on no one's radar? Give me a break. I mean, I can understand it if there's like two dozen of these highly trained ghosts that slip in and out of places, kill the right person, and then suddenly a regime falls and that kind of stuff. But I don't even know how many were on that monitor. It was thousands. Easily hundreds. More than you'd just be able to fit in a little storage locker when they were inconvenient. You have class sizes of, what, 50? Like they had on the... It was a whole-ass school. (laughs) 
on the fortress. They had about, I don't know, it was maybe about 50 on there. And then everyone mm. else is embedded elsewhere. What do they do when they're not needed for some kind of murder mission? Do they just sit about, live normal mm. lives? I suppose it's maintain deep cover until told otherwise. Yeah, basically. Probably overthinking it because the real answer is they hadn't thought of that in 2016, but they've thought of it now. <laughs> True. Or thought about it for 2019. Whenever they were making it, that was when they thought of it. It's going to be the same thing once mutants appear. Like, why weren't they here the whole time? Well, they were, but they weren't allowed to see it until now. Yeah, we'll see how that works. Yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to... I don't envy the writers. There might be a bit of faith going with... The, the audience will just go with it. And even if they don't, they'll forget about it mm. by the time their second appearance rolls around. So we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the same here. It's almost this willing to accept this other flying fortress when they were kind of a big deal a few years ago. I mean, how long has that been up there? Surely it has to be a long time if it's been hidden up there all the time. Yeah, I'm losing track of the overall timeline, but at least a few years. And I remember the Agent Carter episode, which gave you the... I don't think they ever explicitly named it, but it was like the first version of the Red Room in that time period. It was just like a bunker somewhere. that had a bunch of young women in it, and they were all you know, highly trained. Agent Carter and... The Howland Commandos went to take it down. Yeah. I don't remember the episode that well, but I remember that being the gist of it. The implication was, here's the start of the Black Widow program, which, yeah, okay, started small, I guess. It's just one of those things. You've got this massive organisation that is separate from the other massive organisations that we all know about, <laughs> and they're doing essentially the same things. It's the same thing that Hydra were doing, trying to manipulate events through offing the right person or manipulating the right person or having that clout over the right person just to manipulate things in a way that Drakov wanted. What does he want? I don't even know. The film doesn't tell you. Yeah. What was the end game? Nobody knows. What are you doing, Drakov? Do you just enjoy messing up the world? Fair enough, if that's what you want to do. It doesn't seem to have an overall plan. It's just, I'm just going to sit up here and just mess things up. Why not? Because I'm a James Bond villain. I don't need a plan that makes sense. Oh my god, it had such a massive James Bond villain vibe though. Like, okay, this dude comes out He's the big bad. We're not exactly sure what his deal is. Oh, he's very arrogant, and that is his downfall. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't a massive... I mean, I rarely am with Marvel villains. I usually come away with them going, no, I like the film, but the, the villain, yeah, he's not up to much, or she's not up to much. Whoever the villain is, usually not up to much. Mm. And he certainly wasn't. I think they went out of their way to try and make him too slimy when they didn't have to, because what he was doing was enough. So having him behave in that way was just too obvious, I think. Yeah. Not to sound like a broken record, but they were trying to show something and the means by which they got there were not as important. I'm not sure Ray Winston can do Sinister. Maybe that's the problem. What was that accent? That was my biggest beef with the whole portrayal. That was painful. Cockney Russian? I don't know. I'm not an accent coach or whatever, but that was an atrocity, if I may say so. If you hire Ray Winston, you get Ray Winston. That's what you get. That's just the way he's going to talk. So just let him talk the way he talks. Don't try and hustle a, a Russian accent out of that as well. Maybe that was his idea. Maybe he thought, I'm going to try a Russian accent, and then they were just like... <laughs> You do whatever you want, Ray Winston. <laughs> Just don't quit on us. You have earned the right to do whatever you want. You're in like three scenes. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> True. Because he is only in that flashback and then he disappears and then doesn't reappear until the very end. Yeah, there's all the pictures of him that scroll over the intro and stuff that kind of build a bigger picture if you're paying attention. But 
that's about it. Slightly bigger role than William Hurt. Yeah. He's in two scenes, but one of them he's just sitting in a car and doesn't do anything. Easy paycheck, I suppose. It's an easy connection as well. This guy's been in other films. You'll recognise him. Off you go. Mm. Makes sense that he'd be trying to hunt her down and now he's nowhere near her. Joke's on him. Yeah. That actually annoyed me when it was two weeks later. How did she get out of that? Mm -hmm. We don't know as writers, so we'll just write that she's out of it now. (laughs) Just skip ahead and (laughs) don't bother with that. Don't question us. We are your gods. We don't know how she would escape being arrested. It's just very strange. It was that whole, I'm going to stay here and face the music. And then two weeks later, here's a jet, off you go. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Just a bit of an anti-climate. That was a weird cutaway, I'm not going to lie. See, that's what happens. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's just tearing it all apart. And, oh yeah, it is rubbish. No, I don't think it's rubbish. I did enjoy it. I forgive a lot of plot sins if the character stuff was right, and they got a lot of the character stuff right for me. Yeah. For example, the dinner scene. As weird as it was that they were all so familiar with one another. It was so good. Yeah, I really enjoyed the dynamic that came out. Also fun to see Natasha be uncomfortable for once. She's always so in control in a room of people, but to see her kind of defer to her parental figures was interesting. When they were just bickering and it was the, stop, don't say that. Yeah, it was nice. Well, I didn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah, we've all been in those family discussions, or most of us have, at some point or another. So yeah, it's instantly relatable. And then you've got Alexi, who's the sort of deadbeat divorced dad, who's starting to realise he's made a lot of mistakes in his past and is trying to make up for them but isn't quite able to again that's a common trope that you get in these things i mean can we have any superhero property where a broken family isn't involved in some way or another yeah (laughs) can you imagine an avenger with two parents who they have good relationships with no chance i think if such a thing exists suppose we don't know hawkeye's relationship with his family he might be well adjusted somehow doubt it but who knows with him i think who are the other avengers might have families. Scott Lang, maybe his parents are around somewhere. Maybe Bruce's? I don't know much about Bruce's familial background aside from his cousin being She-Hulk. Or if you watch the Ang Lee Hulk film, you'll see that his dad was abusive and did experiments on him and things like that. Mm. Which isn't necessarily canon to anything. It's only canon to that film. But at the same time, it's a possibility. But yeah, we don't really know. Might find out in the She-Hulk show because he'll be there. Maybe. You might get some kind of family backstory. Perhaps. But yeah, Natasha's put in the notes, forced family, because that's what it was. She was forced to live with these people in Ohio for three years so that they could go and steal secrets or something. Mm. I guess they have two kids because it looks more convincing that way. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever watched The Americans? I've never seen it, but I'm aware of what the concept is. Yeah, it's mad similar, basically. As soon as I saw that, that was my first thought. It was... Okay, yeah, that's yeah, what's going yeah. on here. And then they get told they have to leave immediately and they've got like an hour and then there's a whole thing with a plane taking off and Alexi mm. hanging on the side and other weird stuff like that. Because why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turns out Natasha knew someone with super strength when she was a child and it's just never come up before. Yeah, that kind of took me by surprise. I'm not going to lie. Maybe that's just my non-knowledge of the comics. But when we realised that he does have super strength, like a super soldier, you're kind of like, right, so who at this point doesn't have the serum? What country isn't manufacturing it at this point in time? Yeah, and the whole point is they couldn't perfect it. It creates problems in people. Yeah, I don't know. Well, the whole point's supposed to be it only ever worked once. And then all Mm. other imitations were... Exactly that. That's why you have the Hulk in the MCU anyway. In the comics, the Hulk has nothing to do with Captain America 
origin wise but yeah in this it does and then you have isaiah and falcon and winter soldier well he seems a bit mentally unstable as a result of it i suppose oh, it seems more like the racism rather than the serum i got the impression that the serum was messing him up in some way as well maybe it wasn't yeah maybe so what do we think that bucky and the dad got the same serum what's going on certainly similar i mean you don't get the the extent of Alexi's powers, and he spends his only real action scene getting his ass kicked, so... Yeah, true. I suppose you can imagine he's a bit older now and it's maybe worn off a bit, because it's not a perfect version of it. But he's stronger than Captain America mm-hmm. in the 90s. Yeah, odd. Because Cap couldn't lift that thing the way he lifted it. True. Yeah, in terms of pound-for-pound pound strength, he's stronger. Yeah, 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 no, I get you. Skill, maybe not. We don't know, we never see it. We just see him over the hill and then getting beaten up by Taskmaster <laughs> mm-hmm. and getting knocked out. Also, the fact that he wasn't doing too well, even though the present. Yeah. I suppose he was kind of overwhelmed there, though. Yeah. I suppose. Cut him a break. I liked David Harbour in this, though. I thought he was really good. Again, despite oh, his yeah. dodgy accent. The de-aging was quite good early on. I was quite taken aback by the de I didn't even realise they did de-aging. I thought it was just prosthetics and makeup. I didn't realise they'd actually done some CGI. Well, I don't know if it was, but the effect was oh, to okay. de-age him, however they did it. Yeah. I imagine they probably gave him a CGI facelift because that's what they do now. Mm. Same with Rachel Vice. Some very questionable hairstyle decisions, but aside from that, we're good. It's the mid-90s. Anything goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had to look like a boring suburban dad and he looked like a boring suburban dad. So that worked. He looks like someone who wouldn't be near a school. I'm not going to lie. In terms of trustworthy paternal <laughs> figures, they could have gone with something else. But hey-ho. I think that's just David Harbour, though. He just looks like someone that you would oh, want to cross. No. <laughs> Poor dude. But yeah, I agree. I thought he was great in this. And he's just a lot of fun. As an actor, I'd basically watch him in anything. He always seems to give it his all and he's just very enjoyable to watch. Not the Hellboy reboot, though. Definitely don't watch that. We don't talk about <laughs> Yeah. I haven't actually seen it all. I fell asleep when I went to see it in the cinema, so I didn't see the end of it. For the best. Oh no, I saw the end of it. I missed, I don't know, 20 minutes leading up to the end of it. But I haven't felt the burning desire to go back and revisit it just to make sure that I catch no that. No way, really? <laughs> yeah. It was pretty bad. Damn. I'm sure he was fine though. I remember him being okay. Yeah, I don't think the acting was the problem. Yeah. But... I remember when he was cast, I was thinking, well, if it's not going to be Ron Perlman... Probably okay that it's this guy. Yeah, he made sense. Yeah. And he was good in this, and I don't think it'll be the last we'll have seen of Red Guardian either, I think. They'll find some excuse to turn him up in something else. Mm. Which I'd be fine with. Maybe they can answer how he fought Captain America in the 90s or the 80s. It'd have been impressive. Was he just in front of the icicle? Like, <laughs> I'm going to break this. I'm going to punch this until you wake up. Well, I mean, it's probably done the rounds already. I don't really check social media, so I haven't seen anybody talk about it, but could be when he was doing his time travel thing. He bumped into Alexis when he was in the 80s for some reason and fought him there. Oh, do you know what? Dumb myself. I hadn't even thought of that. I just thought the whole thing was pish and he was chatting shy to impress the other inmates. It could also be that, but it does seem oddly specific. If he was only doing that to impress the other inmates... Why would he ask Natasha about it yeah, later true. on? It could just be that he's crazy. That's also a possibility. Could be quite interesting, though, if he really did and it was the time travel Steve whose life we never really got to see. Yeah, and never will, probably. Nope. No, sir. Or it could be there was another 90s version of Captain America that was active 
that no one really knows about. Well, there was a cosplayer that was really convincing yeah. and he was like, you're Captain America. And I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Or it was Bucky and he got confused. Oh, Buck. <laughs> I don't think Buck would have left him alive, if I'm being honest. I don't know. It could be like in a Fast and Furious movie, just something separates them and no one yeah, wins. That's the way these things play out. They got an equal number of punches and then they were separated and they declared it a draw and then they left. Oh, God. I remember reading about the contracts and stuff. That was funny. For Fast and Furious, I mean. Yeah, I don't think such a thing exists in Marvel. I don't think Robert Downey Jr. has said, I want to fire off so many lasers. Nah. I think overall the cast are a bit better adjusted. (laughs) Or Disney are stricter with their contractual obligations. This is what you're doing and there's no wiggle room. Mm. Yeah, You want more screen time? Well, tough. You're not getting it because you signed (laughs) up for this when you were a tiny actor. Now you're a huge actor and we still have you for another 10 years. That's true. So... Mm. So just get on set, say the lines, and then go home. <laughs> the way it is. But Alexei was good. Yeah. I enjoyed the way that he was kind of mournful of his mistakes because you had that whole thing where Yelena's abiding memory of him is all you wanted to do was leave. All you wanted to do was get away from this assignment. And that's all you saw as his, as assignment. And then at the time that was certainly true, but it seems like over the years he's gotten perspective and thought, no, that was a good life. That shouldn't have ended. Yeah. Better than arm wrestling weirdos in prison, maybe. I don't know. I felt like he more came to that conclusion as a result of seeing Yelena's reaction to it all rather than just him genuinely missing those days. Because I think even by the end of the film, he loves his family, but he's still very much like, oh, I miss the good old days where I was the Red Guardian (laughs) and everyone loved me and I was a big deal. I think the assignment itself never really seemed like worthwhile for him. And even he's had a misguided sense of pride when Natasha and Yelena broke him out because he was proud of how many people he'd heard of them killing and things like that. Yeah. But that's a recurring theme as well with the male characters in this film taking credit for the female characters' accomplishments. Like the way that, oh my God, why am I blanking on the bad guys? Rakoff. Drakeoff, thank you. And the way that Drakeoff basically takes credit for Natasha's joining the Avengers and everything that she's become. He's like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Is this really gross sense of denying her agency, even after everything she did to fight to get out, by saying that it's almost like he's removing that free will from her because it's like, well, it all worked out for me. I'm really proud of you. I'm taking credit for everything that you've become, which was just very disgusting to me. Although in that case, that's his thing, isn't it? That's what he does. Yes, it's his way of manipulating her and everything. But it's interesting that you do draw those parallels between him and David Harbour's character. Even though it comes from different spaces, you can't help but draw a parallel. Yeah, and there is that connection as well, because Alexei wanted to get straight back in the field. He's like, right, I'm out of this crappy mission so get me back in the suit get me out there again and then he gets put in prison because it's not convenient for Drakov at that point to have Red Guardian about because I guess he'll be compromised at Mm. that point certainly in the US because she'll know who he is and all that kind of stuff Mm. again that's another bit of backstory you don't really get but I do understand that they have the same mindset when it comes to how they view the the younger widows. I suppose so. You'd think he'd have gotten a bit more resentful of the whole establishment after they chucked him in prison for decades, but whatever works for him. Although he was immediately willing to bring it down, wasn't he? It was the, well, why bring down the red room? He's like, right, cool, let's go see Melina. She's in wherever it is. Uh, We'll fly there. 
Except we can't because the helicopter doesn't have enough fuel. We'll be fine. We'll, we'll be fine. And then it just falls out of the sky. I thought it was a good gag, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was quite yeah. funny. But they almost made it. And, well, you don't see how far they walk, but it doesn't seem like it's that far. <laughs> we had to do the last couple of miles ourselves. It was okay. Hmm. We were in those padded suits, which made it uncomfortable. That was actually my favourite action sequence, probably, was the prison break. I thought that was the best one. Yeah, it was definitely lots of fun with the avalanche and everything. And just all the little bits to it. Yeah, all the little quips and micro banter between them, even though they've not seen each other in decades, that they're still able to show those hints of, yeah, this is a slightly dysfunctional family unit. Yeah, they're just bickering away as they're doing it. It's a Marvel thing, isn't it? They always do that. They pepper the action scenes with those sorts of things. But you'd think Black Widows wouldn't talk during their infiltrations. They would just get on with it. Mm. I mean, the idea is they're free at that yeah. point, but at the same time, it's, no, we have to be like focused here. We can't lose sight of what we're up against. Mm-hmm. It was a cool prison break sequence. I really enjoyed it. I think that's about the level of scale that I'm comfortable with for a film like that. Uh, Fortress falling out of the sky, not so much. You could see they were really straining their budget with that one. I mean, I thought it looked good. I, thought I was fine with that. I definitely thought some of the CGI was a bit dodgy. Yeah, some of it was. But I mean, it, it always kind of is. And your perception of it might be coloured a bit by the fact that you know it ain't real because flying fortresses don't exist and things like that. Are you sure about that? <laughs> as far as I know. <sighs> they're not really falling out of the sky. What they're doing isn't real. No, don't say that. I notice dodgy CGI, but I tend not to let it bother me as such. Unless it's really distracting, Mm -hmm. which it wasn't there. I think it was fine the way it was presented. I just didn't feel like it needed to be there at all. That was my problem with it. Mm -hmm. Why can't the Red Room just be some facility that's off the grid somewhere? Yeah. That's good enough for me. I mean, it keeps moving is what they said, so it has to be flying around, I suppose. Julia's way more conspicuous, though. (laughs) Just a massive base that's supposedly i don't know how it functioned but you'd think there'd be some refueling involved they'd be like back and forth with jets how are they keeping all that covert it's just the way they do it how many secret bases does nick fury have access to (laughs) he can scare a helicarrier out of nowhere but that's nick fury (laughs) well if you watch agents of shield you'll find out where he got it from but at the same time it's just yeah i'm okay with nick fury has a helicarrier that he has access to somehow Mm. I don't need to know where it came from. So it'd be the same sort of thing there. Yeah, there'll be some kind of refueling going on, but it can land or crash land. And Again, it's an MCU thing. Something has to fall from the sky in the third act. It's the way yeah. it is. Well, they haven't done that in a while, actually. When was the last time they did that? Probably Age of Ultron, actually. Probs. Can't really top a whole ass city, but... I mean, they'll try. <laughs> they'll try. But it's also the fact that, oh yeah, in this interim period between the Avengers splitting up and her going on the run with Steve... She brought down a flying fortress just on her own. Just casually. Didn't need to be brought up again. We're not going to talk about this. It's job done. <laughs> Humble brag. <laughs> she meets up with Steve. What have you been up to? Just brought down a flying fortress. What about you? Hmm. Broke some people out of a prison in the middle of the ocean. Is that the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> Are we equal there in terms of accomplishments? Probably not. No. But it wasn't really her that did it. It was Melina. She was the one that broke it. It was a team effort. Yeah. To an extent. <laughs> but it was definitely Melina that did it. Yeah. She trashed the engine yeah. and so on. She's a character I wanted more from. She's only really in the two specific moments. The dinner scene and then there's the flashback to the, here's the plan that we've put in place that you, the audience, didn't know about and we're surprising you with now. I definitely think in terms of writing, she's kept at arm's length. She's definitely the more mysterious figure of any of them. And I don't necessarily buy the idea of her suddenly turning 
on everything that she's known and everything that she's worked for, which she clearly very consciously was working for. She wasn't being misled on that front. And then all of a sudden, someone pops out out of nowhere 20 years later and she's willing to drop everything. It needed a bit more to justify her choices. Yeah, I want to bring down the red room. Okay, I'm not busy. Yeah. I could do with a break. Yeah. I'll just help you bring this down. But also the rug pull that they did, one of the many rug pulls, there's quite a few in this film actually, but mm. one of the many rug pulls with the face camouflage, which isn't the first time they've done that with Natasha either. Yeah. The reason that I saw it coming though was because when you see her go into the, I don't even know what it's called, just the red room facility thing, she's wearing the white costume. And then in all the trailers, you can tell this is a climactic action sequence. She's in the black costume. So when does she change uh, into this? Right. Fair enough. Does she escape from this prison cell and then get changed? If so, why? Because it's important to look good when you're bringing down the bad guys. Yeah, the Black Widow should at least wear a black mm-hmm. costume at some point in this film. <laughs> is why it is. It's to sell yeah. toys and Funko Pops in it. Well, I suppose not toys, because they don't really make Black Widow mm-hmm. action figures. Didn't they make them and then they got discontinued in 2014 or something? Well, I don't know if they ever got around to making them. They definitely did get around to making them, but then they were discontinued like two or three years later because there wasn't enough of a demand. No one likes female superheroes. Maybe people just aren't buying toys of MCU heroes. Maybe that's just what it is. Mm. Yeah. Because you can get the Funko Pops and that's enough for people. I don't know. No clue. There was the big thing with Age of Ultron with the playset, the motorbike chase, and it was Captain America on the bike. So according to the toy set, it was (laughs) Captain America saves himself from a truck by pursuing himself on a bike (laughs) which is a bit strange but yeah merchandising i mean i don't know i don't buy action figures that much anymore but yeah i don't know if they're planning to sell toys out of that it feels like in a way they are because she wears two distinct costumes in this film that she's never worn before i don't know or since three if you include the vest oh yeah the vest was a really nice touch i thought i liked that subtle nod never twigged for me that she was wearing that in Infinity War because at no point did I think, that vest looks weird when I was watching Infinity War. Oh, right. So when it was brought up in the film, I was like, I don't know, maybe this is a weird, quirky joke. And then Yelena gives it to her and then she has the blonde hair and stuff at the end. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until later when someone pointed out to me that this is what she wears in Infinity War. And I was like, okay, Uh, did not notice. (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, it's not as if they draw attention to it. But again, if it had been made at the time... It'd be, oh my God, she's wearing Yelena's vest. That's a touch. <laughs> yeah. That represents her old family and whatever. I don't know. But I guess it's something that have extra meaning when you rewatch Infinity War after seeing it. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, Melina was, yeah, I wanted more because there was that deception thing. I actually believed it when she said, I've called the Red Room. Sorry, I've had to call the Red Room. I actually bought her as a villain. She was my earliest prediction for Taskmaster before I saw the film. Oh, okay. Because it just seemed like... It's going to be someone that's already in the film. Yeah, I suppose. And it would have also made sense because she trained them, so she said. So it makes sense for her to be the most skilled. And No, I never really thought it was going to be her, but I can see why that would make sense if you were looking for someone who it could be. I mean, this is talking about in the marketing leading up to seeing the film. Yeah, I'm not yeah, talking yeah, about like yeah. when I saw the film. Yeah, 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 gotcha. I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be or immediately upon seeing it. And then as soon as I saw the explosion, I was like, oh, there you go, there's Taskmaster probably. <laughs> yeah. Spotted. Yeah. This is what it's going to be. It's going to come back to haunt her or whatever. So she was an early candidate for that. And her as a deceitful sort of proto-Natasha was quite good. 
you can imagine Natasha was a lot like her when she was at her worst. Mm-hmm. That's the impression I got that Natasha would be that ruthless, or at least as ruthless as she was implied to be. She wasn't that ruthless, actually, in the film itself. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I saw her more as a mastermind figure than as a veteran Black Widow. I know she's both, but the emphasis that was put on her research and her scientific mind kind of made me think she wasn't just a product of the Red Room, basically. She'd really transcended that in terms of her role. Which, again, goes back to why I still am not convinced by why she ended up turning on it all, because she wasn't a victim of the Red Room. She'd made it her own. Maybe she was a willing participant earlier on, so did all the field work for a bit, and then got kind of kicked upstairs and did all the sciencey stuff afterwards. Yeah, maybe. Experimenting on pigs and whatever weird stuff she was doing. Hmm. It was very strange. Oh yeah, I'm just cutting about on this farm, mind-controlling pigs. Yeah, it was a bit... Strange. I did like that one scene though where she is proving her point and makes it so that the pig stops breathing and then it goes on for these very long seconds where you're just like, right, you've proven your point, let him breathe again. <laughs> yeah. And it's an afterthought almost. I think more than anything, that tells you a lot about the character and about her morality and how she's detached from her subjects and her science. So it's of a purpose in that sense. Seeing one of their top people just be in a remote farm somewhere with no defences, it's kind of like, all right. Yeah, apart from pigs. Presumably the pigs will help her yeah. if anything goes wrong. She has some kind of security system because there is a camera that picks them up when they're on approach and stuff. So maybe there's machine mm. guns everywhere. But that whole detached, almost soulless reaction she had to, look, I'm just going to kill this pig, maybe. Maybe I won't. I don't know, I'll revive mm. it at some point. It contrasts quite massively with her compassion almost immediately after yeah because by the end of the film she's all well we're all free now let's all go and start a new club of black widows where we're not under that control even though i've put you under that control yeah i'm not entirely convincing is it and again it's that she has to be redeemable so that's why she turns on it but yeah the fact that she turns on it just because she's asked doesn't make mm. a lot of sense because I never got the impression she was waiting for a way out. No, exactly. It would make sense if we find out later that like, she then got all the Black Widows back together, remade the Red Room, except she was in charge. That I would buy. This was all a long con to get rid of her competition. That would make sense to me. Or she wanted Drakov out of the way and couldn't find a clean yeah. way to do it. Basically. And for some reason, she can't attack him, I guess. Yeah, or she just saw an opportunity and took it. It doesn't have to be premeditated. Maybe it was a genuine surprise for Natasha to show up at her door and then all that came along and she was like, you know what, now's a good time. Been waiting for this for years. It's about time. Yeah. Because it isn't really clear who frees Yelena, who was responsible for that. What do you mean? So when Yelena gets sprayed with the gas early on. Yeah, it was one of the other widows, wasn't it? Oh, but then you don't know who freed her. Is it Melina's been doing that, been setting things up? Did she intend for Yelena to come Uh, back and help her out with this? Yeah. Again, the film doesn't tell you, but I suppose if it told you Mm. that, it'd be, ah, it's all going exactly as planned. And it would just be another one of those long MCU plans. The Zemo thing, it's like, all these 50 things have (laughs) to come into alignment for my plan to work. Yeah. (laughs) If one of these things falls apart, I'm screwed. But it won't because there's a script. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you had that, I suppose, as a possibility. I guess wanting Drakov out of the way would have been a sensible motivation for her. But it does seem like she wants rid of the control and she's happy that the control is now gone and that everybody's free. Yeah. And then it's going to be her and Yelena's mission to go and free all the other thousands of widows kicking about. <laughs> 
replicate the serum or the, the red gas. Yeah. It's a long mission. You get boring after a while. You're just going everywhere. Yeah. <sighs> need to get one of those, like in the first Amazing Spider-Man film, one of those uh, big towers that can just spray the serum across an entire city. Yeah. Any widows here will be cured. We'll be fine. Anybody who's yep. not one will have no ill effects, we would imagine. <sighs> and it was when Natasha got sprayed by it as well. The implication was that that removed that for her. So she was living with that the whole time. Yeah, I didn't really see it that way. I just thought she breathed it in and it didn't really do anything. Well, obviously a measure of the programming was still there under the surface because she couldn't attack Drakov. I don't know. The implication is maybe they've read gas wouldn't let you do that anyway yeah it seemed like a separate thing and a tactic that had been around for a really long time way before the whole chemical subjugation came about yeah i have to make sure my trained assassins don't turn on me because they're likely to because i'm disgusting yeah most likely the case i got the impression that she was still living with the program even though she'd broken it herself hawkeye helped her break it or whatever years prior but she still had it so when she got sprayed by the gas it removed whatever was left Maybe it didn't, I don't know. I just understood it to be that the gas undid the chemical programming, but the chemical programming was only ever used against Yelena's generation of Black Widows, and Natasha's had the psychological programming, which was much more akin to what Bucky's was, and thus breaking that was more a battle of wills than it was a chemical solution. Although her and Yelena are not really the same generation. Apparently not. I don't know, maybe it's a combination of both. It was because there was a visual effect when the gas hit her, in the Mm. same way that it was with Yelena and whoever else was around at that point. Yeah, yeah. She gets dosed with it when she's fighting Taskmaster at the end. That's one time she definitely gets dosed with it. Yeah, when she smashes it. I'd have to rewatch it and pay close attention to the sparkle in her eye. It was just the impression I got. I don't know if it's right or not, but... It would kind of make sense, living with a measure of this programming forever. She managed to break it on her own somehow, which is a different sort of thing, I guess. Mm. But the whole sever the nerve twist thing was a bit iffy. I wasn't wasn't keen on that. Probably the only bit that actually made me flinch was when she put her nose back. That kind of stuff always bothers me. I can't see anything where... I'm just like, uh, well... (laughs) I can't see, like, operations and things and whatever. It just makes me feel sick. (laughs) Nice little crunch sound effect. Proper crunch sound effect as well. It was a nice callback to her ability to manipulate people and her intelligence and the fact that she is a spy that knows how to push buttons in mm-hmm. people. It was yeah. the, I'm going to provoke him into attacking me because that's what I need to do to yeah. break my nose and then you're not strong enough, so I'm going to do it myself. That was a, a nice twist. And then the callback to the thank you for your cooperation from the Avengers as well. So yeah. It was, nice yeah. was a nice touch. But I'm also like, if she could have broke it herself this whole time, why'd she let herself get beat up? I guess she wanted to be there to hear... His side of things, because she mm. asked about her birth mother, didn't she? Yeah. She didn't get the answer that she was looking for. And it was also the, how are you controlling the widows? She needed that information too. Fair enough, yeah. Oh, you mean that control panel that you've been talking about for the last five minutes and you shouldn't <laughs> have told me about? That's his arrogance, isn't it? He believes he's in full yeah. control. And that's why he sent Taskmaster away, because he believed that there was nothing she could do to hurt him. Mm-hmm. Which was his folly, I guess. It's a dumb villain downfall situation, but it works. To a degree. It works a bit better with this than in most other films, just because it's also a meta commentary on gender disparity and the way that men will underestimate women. So I guess it's given a little bit extra depth in that sense. And they do almost hint at this sort of political, social commentary with that line he says about the world's 
biggest free resource or something as girls. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something along those lines. And it's reaching for a social commentary. I don't think it commits to it fully enough to be considered appropriate meta commentary, but they try. They hinted at it. Yeah, it doesn't have time to cover it properly, but it's that whole young girls are a massive resource that we can exploit. And I don't know why it's young girls. It could also be young boys. You would imagine there's plenty of orphan children, or children that you can orphan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're going to make the gender point, the widows all have to be girls, don't they? Yeah. And then it's the implied sort of seductress side of it that comes into it as well. Yeah, most definitely. A pretty girl can infiltrate anywhere sort of idea. And you can believe that Drakov would think that because he's clearly a sleazebag. Yep. So you can see where all that comes from. The whole women will be underestimated. No one will expect them to be these highly trained killers and whatever else. It's, as you say, reaching for that point. Doesn't quite get to it because there isn't time and we've got a flying fortress to take out of the sky. (laughs) Yeah. We're in the third act of a Marvel movie. We don't have any time for moralising, I'm afraid. (laughs) It's time for stuff to blow up. Aye. But at the same time, that conversation is almost a mirror of the one she has with Loki in the Avengers. Yeah, which again was by far one of her most interesting scenes for her characters it's not so much exposition but it tells you so much about who she is where she's been what her talents are much more than just seeing her take down a dude with her widow's bite it's one of those moments where you can see how she's extraordinary and not just oh she's part of the avengers but she doesn't have any actual powers so this is a bit underwhelming no she actually has purpose that the other Avengers cannot even think to fulfill. Yeah, it's that whole what do you bring to the team thing. Yeah, I kind of wish they'd made more use of that. Yeah, but But again, it's two-hour action film, two-and-a-half-hour action film, so you can only do so much. What do Hawkeye and Black Widow have to bring to the team? Because they're the quote-unquote normal people. Clint has his bone arrow, which is kind of weird, but it's a gimmick. But what does he bring to it? Well, he can see things. He understands what's going on. He can assess a situation. And in the first Avengers film, they use him brilliantly, where he's on a roof pointing out what's going on. Yeah. So that's his use. Natasha's use is she can sneak around and manipulate people and figure out how people work. She can get located to confess what his plan is, which is planning to unleash the Hulk, which was a bit nothing. But at the same time, she got it out of him. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole other conversation to be had about Joss Whedon, but in a lot of ways, mm. he wrote Black Widow very well. Certainly in the first Avengers movie. All right, I'll give you the first Avengers movie, but we're not doing Age of Ultron and trying to give him credit for that. No, I think she's horribly mismanaged in that film. But yeah, yeah. in the first Avengers movie, there's three major scenes that I remember her excelling in. Mm. When she convinces Banner to come in, that's a yeah. stunningly written scene. The way she conducts herself, the way she talks him into it, the way she plays him. There's even the point where she encourages his sympathy when he says, they start that young. She's like, I did. And then he's like, oh, okay, that's a bit iffy. Yeah. The second one is the one I was talking about, the Loki one. And then that's actually the third one. (laughs) The first one is the mission that she's doing at the start of the film where she's in the middle of some political thing. The tank's getting sold or whatever it is. And she's in the middle of it and she's purposely let herself get captured. And it's that whole... Mm. This guy's giving me everything. He's like, I'm not giving you everything. He's like, nah, you are. (laughs) She knows exactly what is going on. She's in control of the situation, even though she's been dangled over a hole. Well, we died to a chair. Yeah, absolutely. And all three of which utilise her skills as an actress and a manipulator much more than they do her as a fighter. Yeah. 
even though she beats up those guys. Yeah, but it's secondary, yeah. isn't it? It's secondary to her main skill set, which is deception. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't the plan because she had to put an end to it quickly because Avengers stuff was happening. So she needed to be yeah. over there. <laughs> you get the impression there was some kind of extra thing that she was trying to get out of that conversation. But they mirror those moments a lot in this film. Yeah. She almost manipulates Yelena as well early on. It almost looks like Yelena's trying to convince her to come in, but then Natasha's the one that's like, nah, let's go bring down the Red Room, settle this old score. She brings that up specifically as a thing that, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we were all free and we all did this? And mm. So that's almost a bit like a mirror of the... I mean, I'm reaching a little bit, but it's almost a mirror of the Bruce Banner scene. Yeah, fair enough. I can kind of see that. And then there's obviously the mirror of the Loki scene, and then the other scene I was talking about, where she just needs to fight people. Yeah. yeah where she just needs to get in a fight, yeah. So, yeah, it was a good showcase of what we already knew about the character. That's what I meant when I said, but don't feel like we necessarily learn anything new about her as such, other than no. her backstory and the details of that, but in terms of how she works. In terms of how she works, no, you don't learn anything new. No, but it's good to see those skills used properly because they never have been since Mm -hmm. that was the end of the winter soldier her addressing congress or whoever it was some committee and telling them yeah we've dismantled shield i'm speaking for them that wouldn't be black widow she'd be gone by now (laughs) she wouldn't be here she'd be out of there and it's the same in civil war where she's involved in all the political stuff at the start as well where Mm. it's just not her speed there's some weird decisions in that respect i think yeah it's good to showcase her skills in that way and she manipulates the information that she needs to get by playing on those assumptions with Drakov and, mm-hmm. and, and turning them against them, which is it's what a spy would do. Yeah. yeah. You taught me too well. It's true. Yeah. All this training that you gave me, I'm just going to throw it back in your face. Well done. Mm-hmm. It's going to be your downfall. Surprise, yeah. bitch. <laughs> Poetic justice, in it? All I needed to know was how to break my nose so that I don't have to smell you. <laughs> the ultimate diss. It's not even about the plot. She was just insulting him. Well, could she not just went in with a bad cold? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to stand out in the cold. I know I caught a cold at the prison break. I don't know. I mean, you would. <laughs> yeah, it was incredibly cold. Or then the very long walk to the farm or whatever. Yeah, because it wasn't still in Russia, which is never warm. So the, the major themes, I took a few notes about themes. One of my issues with the film is it tells you about a lot of themes, but it doesn't necessarily explore yeah. any of them. Well, not any of them. It explores some of them. You've got family and the loss slash finding slash reclaiming identity. Those are the two big ones. Those are the ones mm-hmm. that do really well. And Yelena's all about getting her own identity because she's never had one before. Yeah. Which works really well. That whole, this is the only piece of clothing I've ever bought for myself. I loved that scene so much. It was definitely one of my favourites. That whole conversation they have in the car. Oh, I knew it. It's really cool. It's just so lovely. I knew you liked it. Um, <laughs> it's got so many pockets. <laughs> you can so tell in moments like that as well that it was written and directed by a woman because it's little touches like that that male writers and male directors wouldn't necessarily think of but comments like the pockets thing made me think of that one scene in harley quinn birds of prey where harley gives a hairband mid fight to one of the other women and it's just little touches like that i can see we're finally getting to a point where we understand how women work in the world. <laughs> yeah my takeaway from that scene it's the typical cliche of women don't have pockets Typically. Yeah, exactly. Yelena doesn't care. She's not trying to live up to any expectation of her. She wants pockets. She wants to store stuff. Yeah. I fully support that. I'd be lost without pockets. I take (laughs) stuff with me. I need somewhere to put my keys and my wallet and my phone and whatever other crap I'm carrying with me at the time. Aye. Pockets are for the win, for sure. 
it was a good conversation. It was very much a character moment. And it felt like more than here's an origin story for this vest that people might have noticed, mm. which, as we've already established, I didn't. Otherwise, it would have yeah. meant almost nothing to me. Yeah. Although I was kind of expecting a moment where there was something in the pocket that she needed that someone hadn't thought of. <laughs> yeah, like a sort of like Mary Poppins bag kind of situation. Well, she said she made her own modifications. So there'd be like hidden compartments or something yeah. like that, you would imagine. So I was expecting there'd be a moment where she was held dead to rights and then she produced something. And then it would be like, pockets? Mm. Nah. You never checked my pockets? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm just <laughs> expecting everything to be foreshadowing something else. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed like it was heading that way. Maybe some other version of the script, that that blade that she had that she broke out of the brain surgery with was in a pocket that they hadn't checked or something. Maybe. Or maybe I'm thinking too much about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was just one of those things that kind of stuck with me and just a nice character moment. Yeah. And it was very much about her having an identity for the first time. Yeah, and establishing that rapport between them as well. I mean, she didn't have much, but she had this vest. It was hers. It's the first thing that was ever hers. Yeah, exactly. And then she gives it away, which tells you a lot about her connections to to Natasha and how close they are. How close they've became in the Mm -hmm. last day or so since they reconnect. Yeah. Which is all it's been. It's not been long at all. Those are two big themes. Choices in there a lot about having the right to choose, having the ability to choose, or not knowing that you don't have the ability to choose, I suppose. Mm. There's that whole subtext about the, there's all these people out there that are being controlled. The world works differently to the way you think it does. People aren't really choosing what's going on. Things are being manoeuvred in certain ways. That's there. Mm. Abuse is an obvious one. Of course, yeah. But again, they don't do an awful lot with it. It's just these women are abused and that's about it. Yeah, I suppose for Natasha, she's basically had time already to heal and to deal with her trauma. I think they could have done a bit more showing Yelena as not being necessarily as well adjusted as she was. But again, I suppose it's not her movie, so. Yeah, even though it kind of is. Maybe that'll come later. Yeah. She is the one that kills Drakov, though, but it's obvious that she'll hate him, but they haven't really established anything about it. They don't have any scenes together. Mm. She just plows that staff into the engine of the plane and then he's dead and that's it. Yeah, she is freakishly well-adjusted for someone who's spent her whole entire life being mind-controlled to kill people. But I suppose you do need some levity and some character humour relief, otherwise it will be... Yeah. They could have taken her a little bit more seriously. Didn't really need her quipping right away. They could have. Could have had her be more lost. That first scene she appears in, well, not the first scene, the first scene she has with Natasha, she's Mm -hmm. very almost robotic in that scene. The Mm -hmm. way that she just dismisses everything Natasha says. Then the next time they chat after the vehicle chase, she's quipping about posing. There's a disconnect there. When did you become this? Was it in the last 10 minutes Mm. while you were on that motorbike? But you were stealing that car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that Marvel do sometimes is lean a bit too much into the, we need everybody to be quipping away. And you could have had Yelena be quite a dark character for more of the film than she was. Maybe that comes later, post credit scenes and afterwards. Maybe that's when that darkness gets explored more. Yeah, where she goes to track down Hawkeye. Yep. Under a misguided assumption. And how does Val know that? How did she come up with this information? I mean, Val knows everything. She's like Nick Fury, but evil. Yeah, or just Nick Fury, but... And without the funding. Slightly different motivation. Mm. Nick Fury, not such a good guy. 
necessarily. I mean, he is because he's a central character in the MCU, but he's not a good guy. He's a big picture good guy, not necessarily an everyday good guy. Yeah, where she is, well, who knows what she's up to. Yeah, we don't really know enough at that point to judge, but she seems sketchy. <laughs> if this film came out when it was supposed to come out, it would be a very different reading of that post-credit scene if you hadn't seen... Well, we wouldn't have seen Falcon and Winter Soldier yet, and I imagine anybody that hasn't... Because there'll be a lot more people that see this film than watch that show, I would guess. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think there'll be a lot of, who the hell is this? But maybe it's enough that she's just yeah. some sketchy recruiter. I mean, there's not much more we actually know about her no. at the end of the day. Her appearance in Falcon and the Winter Soldier colours in a bit of background, but I, I wouldn't say it tells you anything that post credit scene doesn't already tell you. Yeah, sketchy recruiter. That's who she is. Exactly. That's all she is. Yeah. But I think it's slightly better with the little bit of context that oh, totally. you might have from Falcon and Winter Soldier, whereas she just recruits John. And that's about all she does. But mm. she talks about how she's separate from the US military and all that stuff. Then Yelena already knows her, so she's been doing some work for her, I guess. Mm. Who knows? That's what we're supposed to take from that. But yeah, I can't wait till she meets Hawkeye and it's like, no, no, I didn't kill her. I tried to stop her from killing herself. Mm. I actually tried to jump off first, but she stopped me. Yeah. You should have seen it. It was crazy. It was just back and forth. <laughs> we were scrambling to jump off the edge. Should have seen it. <laughs> It wasn't pretty. It was just it was one of those things. That'd be a short-lived mission if she just rocks up and he's like, wait, no, who's been telling you this? And she's like, she did. And he's like, this is fake. And she's like, okay, let's take her down then. <laughs> yeah. Well, they'll need to fight first because that's the way it works. Yeah, of course. Every time comic book characters come into contact with one another, they to fight. That's the way it works. <laughs> we don't chat here. We use office. <laughs> Unless it's Barry and Kara and they cross over in Supergirl, where they're just friends yeah. instantly and it's... It's really charming right. and amazing. But generally speaking, whenever two comic book characters meet up for the first time, there is a misunderstanding that forces them to come to blows because we need to know who wins out of Spider-Man and Daredevil or whoever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the first thing that happens when Natasha and Yelena meet up. They fight. Yeah, it's true. It's just the way it works. And that's one of the better action sequences. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I, I quite liked how contained it was and the fact that they use just everyday stuff that's around just smashing a plate in her face and stuff mm. like that i mean you'd be heavily concussed after that yeah well that's the thing people might lack interest in the side of it because they aren't superheroes but every action film has the protagonist behave in a way that's more than human they survive punishment that mm. normal people would never survive such as getting brained by a plate <laughs> i mean you would survive it but you wouldn't be in a good way afterwards you wouldn't be able to have a chat straight afterwards yeah the bit that got me was when i think it's Natasha gets kicked and her body just goes flying and hits the corner of an archway really violently with her back. That would be someone else down for good. Yeah, if there were some bystander, they'd be dead. But it's because it's her. She has stronger bones than anybody else. Yeah. But it's the way it always goes. They get what would otherwise a life-threatening injury and it, it turns into a cut on the forehead or a bruise or something like that. Yeah. It's not something I'm heavily equipped to comment on, but... I really did want a female voice on this podcast for obvious reasons, but it's no secret that in most of Natasha's appearances, she's been shot in a certain way that's supposed to be appealing to the male gaze. What did you think of the way that the film was shot? Did you think that any of it was exploitative? There was a couple of bits where I thought, that's a bit awkward, but only a couple of bits. You know what? No, I thought there was a lot done to undo 
the damage and the sort of exploitative way in which she was filmed and used in previous films. We've touched on this, but the fact that the widows are picked to be attractive women who can use their femininity as a seduction tool and as a tool of manipulation, I think it was important that Natasha was still looked upon as someone who's very beautiful. Yeah, you can't get away from that, can you? Yeah, but there are some shots where you're like, right, yeah, this is one hell of an attractive woman. And I don't think that's exploitative because it's part of what makes her so good at what she does. I think the main good thing about the hair and makeup and also the wardrobe, that was some of the most significant changes from what we've seen so far of the character in terms of sexualizing her is that this time with the suits and the outfits, there's the practical hairstyles where they actually get her hair out of her face. There's a lot of scenes in which she's barely wearing a stitch of makeup and that makes sense because she's on the run and she's having to get changed in a fairy bathroom. There's no need to look glam. Whereas if it had been, you know, Joss Whedon, she'd have been full smoky eye sexy lip all of that god forbid she looks like an actual human person (laughs) and yeah the fact that her suits were actually protective they served an actual purpose not just like a slinky body form leather cat suit that has no padding or protective element whatsoever i thought that was great it felt good seeing that after so many films where the sole female avenger was also just the eye candy it was good to see her reclaim that image a little bit even if going back to my initial comment is a bit too little too late at this point the damage has been done but nonetheless it's good to see her have a glimpse of what her character could have been if she'd been introduced like seven years later it's almost a bit like in the wonder woman movie the first one anyway where she's obviously unspeakably attractive that's part of the point she's from that island of unspeakably attractive women but it's the same point Mm -hmm. it's not who she is it's just a thing it's just a fact of her being that's what she is yeah or it's part of what she is it's not all that she is obviously it's more about her personality and her heroism and so on but yeah in the first avengers movie for example she has the outfit where the zip doesn't go up to her neck for Mm. obvious reasons and the white suit in particular was one that I know yes looks functional yeah it's cold she's wearing it because it's cold and it allows her to move and offer some protection and it's camouflage as well it's white because they're in a snowy place like it makes sense beyond just being like oh damn this leaves very little to the imagination (laughs) make sure the fanboys really get a load of this (laughs) I mean and I always not always. I'm not going to say I'm this radiant saint that never picks up on these exploitive things. I do watch CW shows almost <laughs> exclusively after all, whereas that's what they're doing. Mm. Although I find that CW shows do that more with men than they do with women. Get your abs out of my face. I'm feeling uncomfortable. That's the CW thing. <laughs> it's just, please put a shirt on because I'm feeling very uncomfortable eating my bag of sweets while I'm watching this. Thanks. Nah. So I'm not going to say, oh no, I always find it disgusting, but I always find it uncomfortable. Or certainly in more recent yeah. times, I've found it more uncomfortable. Like watching Star Trek, for example, Seven of Nine and Voyager. Mm-hmm. When I was watching Voyager, I was 
going into my teenage years and I didn't know what was going on. I was like, what is this? Should I be watching this with my dad? This is awkward. It's leering is what it is. And it's this very intrusive way of placing the camera and of exploring the female form that almost makes you complicit in the character's objectification because you are the camera and therefore you're put in that position of voyeurism. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth, really. It's just vile. And then male writers will hold them up as shining examples of, look, it's a girl boss, you're welcome. And it's like, no, hun, she's glorified set dressing at this point. Do not pretend that this is your big feminist statement when you're actually just enjoying looking at her ass. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm watching these things and never thinking, oh yeah, quite like the look of this. But at the same time, it does make me feel uncomfortable. Mm. Because I'm aware of what the intent behind it all is. Yeah, but that is what it is, isn't it? It's the intent, which is why, like I said, in terms of Shortland's direct, the way she handles the camera, there are shots where you're like, yeah, Natasha Romanoff is a sexy lady. But because you know who's behind the camera and because it's not leering, and it's not like that one shot in Justice League of Wonder Woman's ass, where it's just like, hi, this seems very necessary. But because you know that the intent isn't malicious and it's not leering and it's not exploitative, then it basically empowers the character with her own sexuality rather than being seen the way that she's perceived by men, if that makes sense. Oh no, completely. It is something I wanted to get into this podcast because I think it's an important discussion. And at the same time, if I'd managed to get Aaron on here or something like that, well, we could have had that discussion. It would have been, (laughs) I don't know, somewhat awkward. But also I'm trying to choose my words very (laughs) carefully so I don't sound like a complete pervert. But as a straight male, I see things in films and I think, Yeah, okay, I see what you're going for here. And yes, it is very attractive. But at the same time, I would find it attractive either way. Mm. I don't need you to put it in my face in the way that you're doing it. I think that's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Sometimes quite literally. (laughs) Yeah, I don't need that. I'm content to look at Scarlett Johansson in any capacity and think, she is a beautiful woman. And that is fine. She's not an object. That's the thing. Yeah. And yeah, she's obviously a lot more than a beautiful woman and the Natasha character is a lot more than that as well. But she is also that. I I don't think that's unfair of me to acknowledge that. No, of course not. Again, choosing my words very carefully. Mm. I don't want to seem in any way perverted. (laughs) I don't think that I am. The next statement's going to sound very, very like, well, I'm not racist, but the number (laughs) of shows I watch that have female protagonists, Supergirl, for example... Legends of Tomorrow with Katie Lotz and she's now the lead. Well, she's now number one on the call sheet as of last season. Mm -hmm. Things like I watch a lot of, a few shows anyway. I mean, there aren't that many of them, which is kind of annoying, but I'm happy enough to watch them, obviously. Like Supergirl, I think, is a great show because of the way they handle it. And a discussion that I have had with Aaron before is about the whole quote-unquote strong female character trope that you get in things like this, superhero stuff from years back, where it's, we need this strong female character to be completely flawless. She Mm -hmm. can't lose. She can't ever make a wrong decision. She can't ever have anybody disagree with her. She can't ever make a mistake. Anything like that. I think that was quite prevalent, certainly a few years ago. Oh, yeah, for sure. But Natasha has always been flawed in a lot of ways. She's never really been given the room to be the hero, though, which is why those same expectations didn't necessarily apply. Yeah. But she always had her flaws. 
Well, yes and no. I feel like she has a dark past, but she's still very much, for a lot of the films, portrayed as perfect. She's smart. She can talk her way into anything. She's really good at technology. She's gorgeous. She can fight really well. It's true that in that sense, she is pretty flawless. It's just that they add this nefarious shadow into her past and that makes it so that she's not perfect but she is the way she's presented on screen she is perfect or that she's doing things for the wrong reasons yeah but then you're finding a middle ground between the sort of like perfect strong female boss and the femme fatale which is also another very toxic very prevalent trope but having said that that was early in the mcu and though there was still hints of it in later films we're not even going to talk about her treatment in age of ultron because it pisses me off but in infinity war and in endgame she is given more room to grow as a character that isn't just hot lady token to the all-male Avengers team. Especially in Endgame where she's just completely strung out. Yeah. Do you know what? Maybe more so than her performance in Black Widow in her actual standalone film. I think I prefer the way her character's portrayed in Endgame, in a way. Not sure. I do think this is her best performance in the role, but maybe the portrayal is... But it's much later on. Well, it is. It's like seven years or something in real time. Exactly. Yeah. In real time, in terms of the timeline of the film, not in real time. In yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get yeah, you. They've made these things. But Winter Soldier is very much that she has the skills, but she's using them for the wrong reasons. She's delighted at the fact that Steve doesn't know what she's up to and doesn't know that she has this secret mission and whatever else. That's something. And then a lot of Winter Soldier is about her questioning her assumptions about things that she's been doing anyway. Mm-hmm. As in this whole, I shouldn't have been working for S.H.I.E.L.D. because they tried to kill me like two days ago. That's not great. Yeah. What was I thinking? And. Her perception of Steve in that film changes as well. She misjudged him as just being this clean-cut type person where she finds it has a bit of wiggle room and she's impressed by that that kind of Mm. stuff. So when I say flaws, that's more what I'm meaning that have come through in the earlier films. But yeah, not in terms of her skills. If she enters a room and she's going to fight someone, guaranteed that she's going to be the winner. That's always been the case. And it's the case in this film as well. Yeah, I never really felt like she was in any real danger. No, absolutely not. Even against Taskmaster, you're like, no, she'll be fine. Even beyond the fact that you actually know she'll be fine because you see her in later films. That Taskmaster action sequence early on, I do think that she defeats her very quickly. I was about to say defeats him because I remembered Taskmaster from the comics and it was always a heat. So it's hard to get away from that because I keep forgetting about the reveal a little bit. Yeah, because it's completely inconsequential. Yeah, exactly. But she mimics her, not her fighting style, actually. She mimics other people's fighting style, but Natasha gets away very easily. Yeah. She even manages to open the box and empty the contents without her noticing. Yeah. And again, that's a typical Natasha move where she's not entirely relying on her strength and her fighting, but she's sneaky. She's a sneaky spy. (laughs) She noticed what the objective was immediately. Yeah. Which again is almost that flawless thing you were talking about. She entered this situation, she already knows Mm -hmm. what the objective is. You're not after me, you're after this box for some reason. Mm -hmm. Don't know why, just some mail that I got from Amazon or something that I left behind. Completely unimportant. Maybe she ordered the James Bond box set to finish. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, she can't log into iTunes or whatever she'd be using to watch it because she would get tracked down as soon as she went online. It's like, we've got a ping from our iTunes account. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? Oh God. That'd be a short film. She's hacked Tony Stark's iTunes account. We'll never find her. (laughs) (laughs) Using his money to just buy films. 
he doesn't even notice. To be fair, it sounds like the sort of petty, cheeky thing that would be perfectly on character for her to like hack Tony Stark's and just charge to his car. <laughs> this is fine. Yeah, it would work. Yeah, I'd be on board with it. It was interesting to get your take on the whole way she was shot and stuff. There was definitely more than one moment where I was thinking, it's slightly awkward, but I can't remember what most of them were. The one I do remember is when she goes in to fight Yelena and there's that like low angle shot that I thought that's a bit mm. odd that that would be here. But on the whole, I didn't really feel like I was being pandered to, if that's the right phrase. Yeah, I get that. Pandered to as a straight male, not because of what I want from a Black Widow film. <laughs> yeah. I don't want that. Just to make that clear, that's not what I'm looking for. I think most people don't want it. It's still this very old-fashioned perception of what a comic book audience is, which is pretty horny young males, but that's just not true. If it ever was, it's certainly not anymore, and I'm still sceptical that it ever was the 90% that creators seem to think that they were in terms of audience. Yeah, I forget where it was, but I read someone had said the audiences are moving on and that thing is changing. Or it's more that the assumptions are changing because they are letting other people's voices be represented in ways that they weren't before. So it is, again, the Voyager example, the seven of nine thing. I don't need Mm. that. And what does that say about your assumption about my emotional age? That's actually insulting Mm. for me. Yeah, exactly. You assume that that's what I want when I'm watching this. The thing about seven of nine is she was a very well-developed, well-written character behind that but at the same time it was the skin tight cat suit and the suggestive camera angles mm-hmm. that was a conscious decision they made every single episode that they made that she was in practically except yes, for a couple absolutely. and i can dredge up a dozen examples probably just off the top of my head of other similar ways that they've done that some of which have been in marvel films mm-hmm. so i think it's insulting to everyone when you do that yeah for sure it's important not to forget that, yes, we're post-Me Too movement. Yes, there are improvements. Yes, there's been the introduction of many female superheroes since Natasha. But Kate Shortland is also the first female director to get solo credit on a Marvel movie. Yes. Yeah, we've come a long way, but let's not pretend there's now equality in the MCU. We're doing a lot better, but there's still a lot to undo that's been established in the past decade. I'm sorry, Marvel, but DC beat you to it with Patty Jenkins. Just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one thing they uh, beat you on and people liked it. You could have done this years ago, but you didn't. That's true. For whatever reason. But yeah, I do agree that it's a long road and we're not there yet and we're not close to there yet and there's a lot further to go. But I think with all the projects that are coming up, there will be a bit more variety in Oh there. yeah, for sure. I'm not sure what other female-led yeah. superhero movies are on the horizon. There's plenty of TV shows. Eternals, that's got Chloe Zhao helming and Gemma Chan's character, supposedly the lead. It's an ensemble movie, but I read that uh, apparently, I think her character's called Cersei, mm-hmm. is the main one okay. out of all of them. Female directors are doing really well in terms of Disney Plus Marvel shows, for sure. And from a project point of view, there's no distinction in terms of priority, I suppose, or at least that's what they say. It isn't really because they're releasing some on Disney Plus and some in the cinema. So there is a mm-hmm. distinction being made. Yeah. But I think in terms of the clout behind the projects, there is no distinction. No, yeah. And soon you'll have Kate Bishop as well, the new Hawkeye. Yeah, absolutely. Ms. Marvel, She-Hulk, others. I'm probably forgetting. It's happening. It took a while, but it's happening. It's happening. We'll take it. And for me, I'm keen to see all of these characters. Yeah, of course. I've enjoyed them to varying degrees in comics. Depends on the comic. Not all of them are good. Mm-hmm. In fact, most of them are not. But 
<laughs> at the same time, I have a connection to most of these characters, some more than others. Black Widow is a character I know very well from the comics because I've read a lot of the 60s, 70s, 80s era stuff. Whereas Ms. Marvel, I've read some of, but not all of. And something like the Eternals, I'm not huge on. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know everything about comics. I'm not one of those Marvel fanboys. Mm. I'm somewhere in between. They're, they're moving into territory that I'm not quite familiar with, Fair which enough. is good for me. I suppose that's going to be the case. The more we progress, the more obscure they're going to have to go in terms of characters. Yeah, they've done all the big ones. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. So just kind of as a last thing, some MCU connections. Always do this in a Marvel movie. We have to point out where they talk about stuff. They mention Thor. You always got to make fun of Thor. It's yes, like a rule. Yeah. He's just overpowered. <laughs> That's what his problem is. So it was one of them. Captain America was mentioned a number of times. Yup. The Quinjet at the end. The vest, I suppose, is a reference. Tony Stark's mentioned as well. Yeah. When Yelena quips about, oh, why don't we get like one of the big Avengers on this? Yeah. Yeah. Hawkeye's mentioned a lot. Yup. I like that. What oh, bullets make that pattern? It's arrows. I like that. Yeah, it was a nice touch. I recognise this handiwork. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good reference. Some of them were a bit overblown. I think in a lot of cases they were just name dropping. Yeah, for sure. Again, with the Budapest thing, I thought it was very much shoehorned into the narrative. Yeah, but she has to go there because we mentioned it. Yeah. We move, yeah. Actually, on that night, though, one slight thing that you might not have noticed because apparently you don't notice the outfit stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but she's continually seen wearing the little arrow necklace that Hawkeye gave her. No, I did notice that, but that's because it was pointed out to me films ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's wearing it in an Endgame, I think, as well. She is, and in one of the previous ones as well. But I think it's nice that that's a, a continuing bit because she's always seen as someone who can start over and who doesn't really have that many ties and stuff. And the fact that she holds on to that speaks very loudly about how much that relationship means to her. Yeah, it's that one small connection to him. Exactly. Yeah. No, I did notice that in this film because it had been pointed out before. So it wasn't that I was watching for it, but I just noticed it. I just saw it and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. She's still wearing that. Right enough. Yeah. Or currently wearing it and she will wear it again later. Mm. I don't know. Timelines, what are they? Yeah. You touched on the Age of Ultron thing. They did mention the whole Age of Ultron thing, her treatment in the Age of Ultron. They've turned it into a joke. That's why it's good. Yeah, there's so much in this that's undoing damage from previous films. The fact that they can joke about a hysteriotomy. Yeah. Or controlling damage rather than undoing it because it's still... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Kate Shortland's having a lot of fun being like, haha, you guys suck. <laughs> or whoever wrote that part of it. Yeah, exactly. Because I noticed Jack Schaefer got a credit for story. Mm-hmm. WandaVision was her thing. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that in the credits. I found that turning that into a joke was, was really good because I did find that weird at the time in Age of Ultron. I almost understood the whole, it's that other extra level of control. And if Age of Ultron had went more into what that meant, it would have maybe been a bit more. But the, the fact that they turned it into a joke was sort of that, well, we can't retcon this now because we've already done it. We can just make you uncomfortable by talking about it. Yeah. I think the issue was never really with Age of Ultron, and maybe I misunderstood your point, but the issue was never the fact that she couldn't have children. It was the fact that her not being able to have children equated her to a monster. No, yeah, I never agreed with that. I was more thinking about yeah, the control yeah. element of it. Yeah, but that was never what made it 
controversial. It makes sense for the Red Room to not want their operatives to have the ability to get pregnant. That makes complete sense. It was the fact that she basically said, I'm a monster because someone went in and cut out my vagina contrary to what I wanted. But the fact that Yelena can joke about it and they have that joint dark humour, it's healing almost. It's normalised and it's not seen as something that's their fault in any way. Yeah, and it's very much, how ridiculous is this? Yeah. Like shining a light on it mm-hmm. was the important thing. I think that was really good, the way that it just trivialised it, well, not trivialised it, but trivialised the weight behind it that was supposed to exist. And as you say, the monster thing, I'd actually forgotten about yeah. the monster part of it because... yeah. I'd forgotten that the crux of the conversation was that we can't have a future because we can't have children. Well, there's more to your future than having children, although mm. it can be. Okay, the Hulk probably can't have children either. That's probably not safe. <laughs> maybe he can, but he shouldn't. Yeah. It's maybe that idea of in order for a successful future to exist, it has to involve children in some way is a bit bizarre. Yeah. The whole thing was just grim and should best be forgotten about, to be honest. Or just blatantly addressed. <laughs> Yeah, all that. To make Alexi uncomfortable. Yeah, it's also interesting that it's such a common trauma response as well, to barricade yourself behind jokes. Perhaps that's a hint at the vulnerability that we didn't really get to see from Yelena. The fact that joking and everything is a defence mechanism. Well, it's almost like, I'm free now. What if I did want to have children? No, I can't. Mm. Or not in the biological sense. She can adopt, obviously. There are options if she wants to have a family. Mm. As this film teaches us, it's about... Finding families. Exactly, yeah. To circle right back around, Natasha realises that she has to go find her family again, her Avengers family. Mm-hmm. She talks about breaking people out exactly. of prison. And stuff. I didn't buy her sunny demeanour at the end of this film, because the next time you see her in Infinity War, she's very stressed out. And th- <laughs> I mean, you don't know what happened in the meantime. She had her holiday, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that is because the Quinjet crashed and she got well grumpy after that. Could be. Who knows? But it could just be after a year or so on the run with Steve, it's taking a toll on her. <laughs> I think that's reasonable, but uh, uh, yeah, they were clearly intending to set up this. Oh, she's off to go and see, meet up with Steve now, and they're going to go and I don't know, be soldiers of fortune over the world and help people and whatever it was mm-hmm. they were doing. You don't really find out that much about it. They just have access to a jet yeah. and fuel, apparently somehow. I'm just not questioning <laughs> how they get that. I guess it's implied that Wakanda are hooking them up repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter. But her sunny demeanor at the end versus her more stressed out demeanor and. Infinity War. There's this weird disconnect there. And I think if you were to watch them back to back, it'd be she seemed a bit more positive than that a film ago. Yeah, that might be that my next viewing order I'll do them all chronologically. Uh, yeah. I've never done a chronological MCU view. No, me neither, but it could be a fun way to look at it a bit differently. Yeah. There's all sorts of viewing orders you can find online that try and frame in them in different ways and things. Mm. I've done a couple of rewatches. I've only ever just watched them in production order. Same. You technically can't watch Captain America first because it's bookended by the present day. Ooh, interesting point. So the whole film is essentially a flashback. But then it gets too complicated, mate. Then you'll be like, oh, yeah, but they go in the past and endgame. So like, do I cut out <laughs> scenes and slot them in? But those are alternate realities. So that's a different situation. <laughs> Watch the first five minutes of the second Thor movie because it has that prologue that's set like 20,000 years ago or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. God, and then yeah. watch, yeah, no, it starts to get nonsense like that. <laughs> There's reading orders online, like debates over reading orders about events like Crisis and Infinite Earths. It's like, read up to page seven, panel four in this comic, and then switch to this oh, comic God. from panel six on page 12 and redrawn from there for four panels. So it gives you the whole chronological thing, but yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. 
I admire the passion, but I do wonder if your time would be better spent doing something else. Yeah, there's better things you can do. I mean, I suppose it's in people's gift to make those things so that I don't have to, and then I can think about them. Mm. Speaking of someone that made my own Arrowverse viewing order, although I didn't, I appropriated someone else's and then I modified it as I went. Okay. Most of the work was done for me. I just disagreed with some of it. (laughs) Fair enough. Isn't that just fandom culture, really? <laughs> well, I think it's a positive side of fandom culture. Let's not get into the negative sides of fandom culture. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that is it, I think. I don't think I have much else in terms of this film. Anything we didn't cover that you really wanted to talk about? Oh, mate, I'm sure I'll think of something in a couple of hours, but as of now, no. We've definitely covered all the important bits. Good. If you feel like that, then I'm happy with that. Excellent. So as I alluded to earlier, we've probably talked ourselves into hating this film over the last couple of hours. So (laughs) it's customary to end on a bit of a wrap up. So just after what we've talked about, what are your final statements on Black Widow, the movie? You know what? Maybe it's me not being open minded enough, but I still stand by my initial assessment, which was it's very enjoyable. And I was very happy to see Scarlett Johansson reprise Black Widow. Love the introduction of new characters. Thought overall it was just fun and fairly well written. I've got some issues with the plot and overall I think my main beef with the film is the fact that it's all good and well but this should have come out like five years ago. It seems a bit too much like damage control at this point on the MCU's part. Kate Shortland did great with what she was given but yeah it's very much like yo we mistreated this Avenger she sacrificed herself and then died didn't get a funeral but hold up don't worry she does get her own movie (laughs) Um, could be deemed quite a cynical take and that's an argument to be made that it should be judged on its own merit but i find it hard to dissociate the standalone film from the general context of the mcu no that's fair overall solid film i've got no strong issues with it i don't think it blew my mind but it was very enjoyable No, it's fair. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. It obviously Mm. doesn't. And it can't because Marvel have got this juggernaut of a franchise that can't be stopped and it can't be divorced from what surrounds it as well. And Mm. everyone knows it. And I think Kevin Feige himself said, yeah, we probably should have done this earlier. And they made some excuse about contractual stuff, I think, where they talked about how when she'd been signed up, she'd been signed up for the sort of team up movies and could only do them. But it's Disney, they can throw enough money at something and make something happen if they really wanted exactly. to. I suppose it's getting the money out of them to do that where there's no appetite to do it might be the problem. That's the thing, though. I'd much rather they just straight up be like, yeah, we didn't think that people wanted a female-fronted movie. We were scared that we weren't going to make back our profit rather mm. than be like, oh, you know, we weren't sure about contracts yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Like, give me a break, hun. You basically rule the entertainment world. You can make anything happen. Yeah, if you can get Spider-Man in your movies, you can make a Black Widow movie. <laughs> <laughs> in it. If you can pull that off, which should have been impossible, you can make a Black Widow movie. A character that you own outright, you could make this film. <laughs> you could have made it in phase one. You just didn't. Although, can you imagine what the phase one version of it would have been? Probably not worth thinking about. Oh, God. No, let's not go there. (laughs) That's an alternate timeline I don't want to explore. Yeah, I don't think it would have been this. I don't think it would have been as (laughs) sensitive is the wrong word. Mm. But you know what I mean. No, yeah, I do. It wouldn't have had that particular touch if they'd made it in phase one. 
Or even phase two. Well, first of all, it'd have been made by men, so it'd probably be more of whatever her appearance was in Iron Man 2, so... Most likely, yeah. It would have been that. But no, I agree, I still enjoy the film, despite the fact that I've eviscerated it for the last however many <laughs> minutes. It's just easier this. to talk about shit you've got issues with than it is to talk about stuff you love. I always try to get that balance in there. That's what I try to do. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's flawless, and the flaws it has don't necessarily take away from my overall enjoyment of it either. It's not that I'm thinking, this is a crap film because the plot doesn't really hold together as well as it needs to or because they did this character in a certain way or because the villain was rubbish. I'm not saying it's a crap film for those reasons. I'm just saying that these things weren't necessarily that great about it and that's Mm -hmm. a different story. Yeah. But it had it where it counts for me, which is the character stuff. Like I say, I forgive a lot of plot sense when the character stuff's right and they got Mm -hmm. enough of that right. And then they delivered on the spectacle that I so enjoy. Yes. The prison break sequence was a highlight for me. Mm. The car chase, I don't really remember it, actually, so it probably didn't make that much of an impression. I like that whenever the Avengers go to Europe, it's to destroy entire cities. But again, the scale of it sometimes takes away from it's supposed to be the clandestine nature of it all. (laughs) If they're running about fighting on rooftops and things and no one notices, that's probably a bit more interesting. Uh. Rather than just plowing armoured cars through streets. But they're ghosts. No one knows they exist. Apart from when they tear apart a European city. <laughs> exactly. That can't have been anybody else. You know, that, that was just a thing that happened. It's just a mm-hmm. thing that happened. It doesn't matter. But no, I enjoyed it. It was a very yeah. good entry into the MCU and a good final outing for Natasha Romanov as well. We probably won't see her again after this. Probably not. I mean, you never know, but my guess... Yeah, never say never, but but probably never. Yeah, but probably not, yeah. And it's good that of the original six, she gets her own film, which Hawkeye doesn't. Yeah. Well, he gets a TV series, but it's not really his. It's Kate Bishop's more than his, I think. Uh, but that seems to be what Phase 4 is about anyway, is the legacy side of things. So this film is really about passing on the Black Widow mantle. The Hawkeye series will be about passing on the Hawkeye mantle. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so coveted. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be the arrow-wielding person. Genuinely. And we'll get another Iron Man-ish type thing. Captain America's mantle's been passed on and Absolutely. so on. The old guard is gone. Yeah, it's a mythology, so the mythology mm. gets passed to the next person worthy yeah. of it. And you've got Thor coming up. The female Thor thing. I've read some of the Thor comics where she appears and the fact that she's called Thor is a bit weird because... It's not his, his superhero identity, it's just his name. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with the actual film. I mean, it can be a title, but at the same time, it's it's his name. <laughs> it's literally his name. It's his first name. <laughs> he can't. It sounds pretty believable that like, if it's set on Earth and the media outlets are going to call her female Thor, that sounds like something they'd do, just because they're lazy. Yeah, she has a hammer. She's female Thor. But we'll see. Yeah, we will. So... Thank you for appearing on this Black Widow podcast. It was good to chat through the film and and get your perspective on it. It's been really good. Likewise. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. So that was the Black Widow discussion. I want to thank YouTuber Neil Stenson for the supplied music. And if you like what you heard, please do subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple, please leave us a star rating and a comment. Five is my favourite number, but I'll accept four in a pinch as long as you leave a comment explaining why it was four instead of five please do that please give us that and if you want to discuss this film or anything else you can leave a comment on newbeforeblog.co.uk or hit us up on facebook and twitter where we'll reply but 
until next time, hope you'll join us on Neil Before Pod. Thank you.